Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into My W Sports Sports Monday. Luis Sanchez joined alongside Kyle Westcott. Eric Ayala should be joining us shortly. Kyle, uh, we had an incredible week in sports, and yes, time is winding down on the WTA and the LPGA, but it's been a good week. How's your week been, Kyle? I'll I'll tell you, this was kind of a short week in all uh, for sports, but you know what? We were were given such amazing um, hockey this, this past week, and and we're going to talk a lot about that. And and just in general, I mean, it, it never stops. If, if you are a fan of sports, there is a sport out there for you to watch at some point every day, every week, whatever you want to see, it's out there. Absolutely. And every Monday you can catch those recaps here with us on MyW Sports, Sports Monday again. Thank you for joining us. We have a lot to get to today. The Four Nations Cup, as Kyle alluded to, was incredible hockey action this past week. We'll get you that recap in just a moment. The CWHL and the NWHL, their season will resume this upcoming weekend. Really excited to get back to that action. And, uh, excuse me, the New York City Marathon, uh, we have some results from that. Erica Ayala was live at the NYC Marathon. We'll get her thoughts on that as well. The WTA, their season has just wrapped up. We have the Fed Cup to get to, but besides that, two trophies awarded this past in the past two weeks for the WTA winners of the year. LPGA tournament updates coming up as well as we approach the season-ending uh, CME Globe Chase Championship and plenty, plenty more in the NCAA and all-around sports. Kyle, let's swing it over to you for the fun fact of the week. Yeah, and as you mentioned, you know, the LPGA is uh, wrapping up, talking about uh, end-of-the-year stuff for the LPGA. And and so the fun fact this week comes from the LPGA. And did you know that Patty Berg has the most major victories in LPGA history with 15? She has 60 tour wins, which is also fifth most of all time. Fifth most. Man, that's incredible. Right? All those major victories. And yet she's only the fifth most all time for total tour victories. That's well, domination you know when she was winning. Yeah, I was just gonna say that, Kyle. When she's winning, it's it it, it it seems like you know we do this throwback Thursday all the time. And recently, I've been going back, you know, trying to find on this date in history. And every time I do that, it seems like Patty Berg's name always pops up because she had just won a tournament. And and if you really want to know, 
Um, you go back in history, those small tournaments and major tournaments, her name is all over the leaderboards and championships. So her career not only was, you know, kind of the start of the rise of the LPGA, but she kind of was one of those primetime female athletes that, you know, most people won't really know kind of paved the way for uh, for golf. Right. I mean, we hear so much on the men's side about the, the players back then, about the, um, you know, Jack, Nichol- Jack Nicholas and the – Gary players and uh, Arnold Palmer's, but we don't hear about the women's side and, and she has more tour victories than any of those men I just named. Absolutely. And we'll get to some more stuff around the league. We have, as we mentioned, uh, NYC marathon coming up. We have four nations cup previews. There's a lot going on, Kyle, especially in the NCAAs. We had the field hockey selection show yesterday. We have the soccer selection show this week. Is there anything you're looking forward to this week in particular? Just get the action started. I want to see these teams <laughs> going ahead. I mean, after some of the conference tournaments uh, leading up into this, I'm just excited to see one game action, take it or leave it, uh, who's going to win and move on. Absolutely. It's going to be really some amaz- amazing action going on. But, Kyle, let's get right into it. We had the Four Nations Cup. We We saw, you know, we knew going into this tournament that two of the best teams in the world were Canada and USA. Last year, the U.S. defeated Canada in the championship, so they were looking to go back-to-back. They started off, and both teams started off 2-0. USA defeated Sweden while Canada defeated Finland. USA defeated Finland while Canada defeated Sweden. So, obviously, these two teams would play the last game before the championship. Let's talk about that last preliminary game where Canada defeated the U.S. 3-2. Were you surprised by that a little bit? No, not at all. These are two very evenly matched teams. Um, firepower on both sides, great goaltending on both sides. Um, it doesn't surprise me if one beats the other at any given time. What does surprise me is how it happens and or what the final outcome is. In this game, the how it happens is, is what really hit me. When you're talking about just great back-and-forth play, but I'll tell you, if, if when you're talking about the best of the best in the world, if you don't use the name, Marie-Philippe Poulain, then you are missing out on on one of the best, if not the best player in the world. Absolutely. And let's bring Erica into this conversation. EA, we're talking about the Four Nations Cup. We're talking about that first preliminary uh, matchup between the last preliminary matchup between Canada and USA before going into that gold medal game. Uh, I asked Kyle if he was surprised by the result. What were were your thoughts on that last uh, preliminary game? Got you, EA. Okay, got me now. Uh, I'm having <laughs> a little bit of uh, technical difficulties with my hearing device, also known as headphones. Um, so that that pre- preliminary game, um, you know, well, if we take it standalone, um, you know, Canada looked really good in that in that uh, game, um, but then comparative to the final, and you and you kind of wonder if the USA was playing possum. <laughs> That's, that's a good way to put it. So, Kyle, back to you. I mean, when you think about the starters Canada had, you know, they have great goaltenders in Genevieve Lacasse, Emirates Mashmeyer. Uh, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, Marie-Philippe Poulain, she's, she's been incredible, probably the greatest, if not one of the greatest players in hockey. Um, when you think about, you know, playing a team before you play them again in the championship, is that kind of a tune-up game? It, it's tough to say, and I agree with EA. I wonder if there was a little bit of possum going on. You don't want to show all your 
your cards in a game that really didn't mean anything. I mean, they both knew uh, they were going to be able to be in the, in the finals. Um, so, you know, maybe the U S did kind of play conservatively in that, that third uh, prelim game heading into it. Um, you know, I still think though that, that they did want to go out there and win. I, I don't know that. I, I don't know that I see the U S just kind of rolling over, but conservative maybe yeah and and with that um you never know what can happen and if you give if if you are playing a slow down kind of game and that's not really the U.S.'s game um you know maybe that did hurt them in the end because they were trying to be conservative early on okay so let's get let's get right to that championship game before before the gold medal match there was a bronze medal match between Finland and Sweden and and a lot of the talk about Sweden was you know a lot of people expected them to do better um and they weren't they weren't really up to the task uh not winning a game in, in this tournament but Kyle you were high on Finland because of their goalkeeper and, and you felt like they that could keep them in these matchups they end up winning the bronze medal against Sweden 2 to 1 uh, Nora Ratte she she was phenomenal in that but what were your thoughts about Finland and Sweden in this tournament I I just unfortunately I don't think that they're they're at the same level as Canada and US and and they have made some good improvements like I said uh, last week you know they're sending more players to the US to to play college uh hockey to to kind of prep them to to get them uh, more capable of playing the style of play that the U.S. and the Canadians are playing, um, they're still not there yet, and and it's unfortunate because I'd love to see more teams able to compete with, uh, like I said, Canada and and Team USA. And EA, your thoughts on on that topic as well? I think, um, unfortunately, we have this conversation across a lot of sports. And I say unfortunately because, you know, there's some great talents, um, whether we're talking about um, just goalkeeping in hockey or or elsewhere, where um, we see some amazing players that maybe just aren't playing with a full team that is uh, that is stacked for their national team. And, um, you know, I think it, it can be discouraging in some respects for, for the nations that, that don't have programs that are completely built up. Um, you know, I, I think that if we really want to see the game of, of women's hockey grow, then I don't know if it's the, you know, um, the, the federation that handles the women's world, but there's going to have to be some kind of, you know, coordinated effort to, um, to, bring other teams up to snuff um, because uh, after a while, it, you know, the four nations is not going to be taken as seriously if we know, as we kind of hinted at earlier, that there are two teams that are going to be in the gold medal match uh, without question. Uh, it doesn't make for good competition for the rest of the three games in the preliminary round. In my that's a great point. And that's a great point. Yeah. And, you know, if you read, if you were on MyW Sports and read the Janine Weber article, you kind of hear those thoughts echoed as well. As, and, you know, she came from Austria, um, went to college for one year over here in the States at Providence, got her collegiate playing uh, under her belt, and then decided that, you know, this is what she wanted to do. So, and she's one of those players who are, are dedicated to inc- impre- excuse me, increasing the game in her home home country. And we see that all around. I mean, Claudia Valez is doing the same thing with Team Mexico. So just to jump on that, EA, what, what, 
what are, what are these players doing this year that can help kind of increase the competition worldwide? Yeah, so I think you you bring up an excellent um, example what Janine Weber is doing for exposure, hopefully, by growing her brand in the American market is then having more people in, in her home country support her in hockey, but then want to do what she's doing. So that starts the youth movement. I think another great example um, is what we've been able to see with um with Ludmila Belyakova as well. Um, in the CWHL, there are also some, um, it's, it's from, um, I'm forgetting the woman's name and where she's at right now, but I think from, I want to say Colombia. Um, and then we have two Japanese, well, two new Japanese players, including Nana Fujimoto's little sister, I think for a total of four in the league, as well as a few Russian players in the CWHL. But what happens essentially is that um, whether it's the CIS, the NCAA, or now the CWHL or the NWHL, players that are given the opportunity to play in the North American market um, are going to need to use social media really to help grow the game in their home country. And speaking with Belyakova at um, the Riveters preseason matches, that's what she was kind of a little bit um, surprised by the power of social media. And she's been able to use that to tap into now the North American market that followed her when she was with the Riveters and have them follow the Russian, uh, her Russian club team, uh, the Tornadoes. Um, So I think a little bit of that is going to have to happen, which will organically grow the game because unfortunately we know all too well on this show that there is, there are not dollars even for Team Canada or for Team USA to grow the game. So you have to think about ways to grow eyes and grow products, excuse me, grow um, fans and more eyes on the product. Um, and, and some ways that you do that is by getting maybe not necessarily a superstar talent-wise, but someone who has enough personality and enough investment in growing the game, like you mentioned, Janine Weber, to really kind of carry to carry their country and, and want people to say, Hey, how can I find this Russian feed? When is Austria playing? If they're not in the, um, you know, top tier, uh, IWHL, um, league, how do I find their games? How can I find their live stats? And that's how you have to grow it. And Kyle, I'll swing that over to you. I mean, we've seen throughout this year and even last year players saying that this is what they have to do on their own behalf to kind of improve the game. But let's turn it around a second. What's the media have to do? What, what do the leagues have to do to kind of help these players and, and you know, grow the games, not only for, the, you know, for hockey, but all, all the sports across the board? Across the board. I mean, you have to, as an organization – it can't be solely on the players. It has to be the organizations that are pushing as well. And, and uh, NWHL, for instance, has a uh, sponsorship with Dunkin' Donuts. They need to push for more uh, uh, w- with what EA said, more marketing, get more marketing, get, get, uh, you know, players from the four different uh, teams to, to get on Buffalo area radio and to or on the TV in Buffalo, and to um, advertise for for Dunkin' Donuts. We see it in in the Boston area that the Patriots are doing it, but you know we could also not we Dunkin' Donuts could also do one where they have the Pride players uh, doing an advertisement, a very quick short commercial 
Um, and that's, that's what you need to get marketing out there to get people aware that these leagues even ex- exist and that the, the teams play at the Warrior Ice Arena, the same place where the Bruins play, uh, practice. Um, you know, so that, that marketing, that idea of getting it out there, it has to be connected from the NWHL or from the organization level. Um, with the sponsors that they have. And, and as I said, NWHL has the sponsorship with Dunkin' Donuts, but they need to grow that even more. They, they need to find other sponsors to also join in and also find ways to market through those product uh, placement ideas. Yeah, I think that's great. And with the Dunkin', I think um, I've been able to travel up to Buffalo a few times, and the Dunkin' Donuts relationship with Buffalo is very much out there. I mean, I have more Dunkin' Donuts car scrapers. Uh, I've got, I've got in my, in my wallet right now, a Dunkin' Donuts card with a Buffalo Buttes logo on it. Like that's how connected they are to that market. Um, and I think right now what Kyle is saying is, is happening more so in the Buffalo market, but not really anywhere else. Um, and that is an opportunity missed from the league. And I think you're right also, Kyle, in that doing that and investing in that partnership and making that partnership work for you will also help you attract other sponsors. Right. And, yeah, you mentioned the social media push and kind of jumping on that with the Dunkin' Donuts. We see a lot of these players, the Boston Pride, Whale, uh, River, they're always taking pictures and saying, you know, we run on Dunkin's and stuff like that. But is social media enough? And Kyle, I think you alluded to that where it needs to be better marketing. And are you saying that's away from social media? I think it's definitely something. It's it's getting in the door. Of course, it's not enough. Uh, social media is still free. But I think uh, I think it was Kyle. You had mentioned this. If it wasn't last show, the show before that, that um, you know, what is the the opportunity cost? You give something away free to get eyes on it, to get exposure, to get it out there. But then you have to balance that with being able to leverage that free um, network now into dollars somehow. I think you were mentioning that when it came to the free streaming and the CWHL and how that was going to impact um, paying players. So that's the thing. You have to have a strategy. It's, 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 the grassroots is extremely important, especially when you're on tight a tight budget, but there has to be a concerted effort and a strategy um, that's usually a multi-year strategy and a multi-pronged approach to making what you have available now and and turning that into something else. Uh, In the nonprofit sector, we often like to say it's planning on a champagne or excuse me, planning events as if you have a champagne budget when you're really working with a sparkling cider budget. You know, reach for the stars and know what that what what that taste of you know of you know the high end is, and then be able to manage that with what your your current reality is. And and if you do that, you can find a way to get closer to that champagne uh, budget. Love it, love it. <laughs> well, and I think this is all relevant because, you know, a lot of the talks happened this weekend about the streaming. You know, one game was on live each day when there were two games on concurrently. So fans of, let's say, USA um, couldn't watch Canada and, you know, 
see how they were doing on the opposite end because one team was on while the other wasn't. So it, it, it brings us all together where, you know, there are different things that can happen, not only here in the States, but obviously across in Finland uh, and other nations. But let's talk about this gold medal game because, it, you know, for everybody who got to see it, it was an incredible game. Um, EA, we'll start with you. Marie-Philippe Poulin, do you think she's the greatest player on ice right now? Uh, you know, it's really hard to argue that she's not, um, just given what she means to Team Canada. Um, you know, was how many scoring opportunities out of the entire tournament didn't have to deal with, with Marie-Philippe Poulin? Um, and I think she, she gets it done, um, you know. Um, she added, she got everything started, and then, Later on, you know, tried to tried to make the the late run, um, but I think now for not only for for Marie Philippe Poulin, but also for Team Canada. Now, how do you similarly to what we were just talking about? How do you make that work for you within a system, uh, within a team? How can she un- uh, ignite and unite of, um, and get other players involved? Um, because obviously she's able to do it. So now it's just about. Um, getting the the rest of the team going. Absolutely. And Kyle, we know Hillary Knight. We know Brianna Decker. For Team USA, there there are names out there. But the first person to score on this uh, in this Four Nations Cup gold medal game was Emily Falzer, who leveled the game at 1-1 after Poulin had opened up the scoring, as EA mentioned. Uh, and then Hillary Knight gives them a 2-1 lead. I mean, when you're thinking about this, in the preliminary game, we saw a back-and-forth, you know, back-and-forth uh, opening start to the to the period. This one, the scoring was spaced out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and if anybody doesn't know Emily Falzer, you should. I mean, okay. she's she's a dynamite player as well. I mean, uh, there was a reason why, not only because it was in Buffalo last year, but she's also a great player, and that's why she was a captain of last year's uh, All-Star game last year for the NWHL. Um, you know, she's a dynamite player, and, and she's going to put up scoring chances just the same as, as, a, as a Knight or a Decker uh, is going to do as well. So, um, what I liked here, you know, you're right. You said it was, uh, the scoring was spaced out a little bit more here. Um, that's a good thing. You know, you, you want to be able to score and then hold the other team from scoring. If it's a, you score, they score, um, you know, that just means that you're losing focus after you are, uh, putting the goal in. Um, so it's good that both teams were scoring and then kind of hunkering down after the fact and not allowing the other team to score right away, which is an easy thing to do after you score. Absolutely. And we saw after USA taking a two to one lead, Laura Stacy, even the matchup up for two to two. And I'm sitting here like, man, are we going to, we're going to see the same kind of game we saw yesterday at back and forth with one team scores and the other team scores. But it seemed like, in that third period, things changed. There was a different mindset for Team USA. Brianna Decker got it going to give them a 3-2 lead. Hillary Knight gets her second on the afternoon for a 4-2 lead. And then Kendall Coyne, that's the fifth goal for USA to take the victory, 5-3. EA mentioned earlier, Poulin had two goals. She added that late, uh, late one for Team Canada to have two in the matchup as well. Uh, Kyle, back to you real quick. When you think about uh, um, you know two rivals going at it, USA and Canada and hockey is obviously huge, but it seemed like USA wasn't even phased about that, even losing game the preliminary game the day before. Well, I think they just got hot at the right moment. I think this was just a case of after Stacey even the game, I think 
um, they just came out on fire. And, and when, once they were able to put in the, the go ahead goal, um, you know, they, the, something happened, some, something clicked, um, you know, the, the way that they were attacking the net was just working. And it, it was just clear that, that everything was going in their direction. The momentum, however you want to say it, had certainly shifted uh, once Decker was able to put in the, the go-ahead goal at 3-2. to two. It, And we have to remember that these, these goals happened very quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I was out, no joke, running an errand. And by the time I got to my phone to see what was going on, and it might have been a total of real-time 10 minutes, Four goals were sco- scored yeah. here, so <laughs> it was just unbelievable. Once it once that uh, faucet was turned on, it, it was spouting pretty pretty heavily for the for Team USA. <laughs> and EA, I saw you live tweeting during the game um, with some incredible gifs. Give me your thoughts on this matchup as well. I mean, yeah, I, I'm with Kyle. I was um, kind of getting some things together for the marathon, um, so running around, you know, popping in and out of uh, a Starbucks to get the Wi-Fi, and I, I couldn't even tweet fast enough, so I had to rely on GIFs and images and just random retweets because it was, it was just too much to keep up with. I, I, I was like, wait a minute. I, I think at one point, even the scorekeeper was having – trouble keeping score because I was like wait the, like the score hasn't changed and there's at least three goals that that popped in like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on um on that fifth goal we saw Kendall's coin uh reigning Patty Kazmaier award winner score the fifth goal for Team USA uh I think it was her third of the tournament in total when you think about names like Kendall Coyne, Alex Carpenter, Emily Falzer as well, some some of the younger players coming up in the system. I mean, is this the, the future for Team USA right now? Well, I, I mean, when I look at these two teams, what I'm seeing right now, and maybe this is just my opinion, maybe I'm off base here, but what I'm seeing is Team Canada is growing great goaltending and Team USA mm-hmm. is growing great forwards. Because mm-hmm. you you look at... You just mentioned, uh, you know, Amanda Pelkey. Amanda Pelkey wasn't even on this roster two weeks ago, but because of Amanda Kessel's injury, now Pelkey was put into this this roster, and she scores in in the prelim game against Team Canada. If Pelkey's not on that roster, then Amanda Kessel is, who's who's a great young uh, scorer as well, and we've seen her perform at this at the highest stage in the Olympics as well, um, and and. You talk about Decker, you talk about Knight, you talk about Coin. All these players are, are young. They're, they're going to be around if they want to be around. They're going to be around for a little while. And, you know, looking into the, the, even the um, players coming just out of college, we've seen such great potential from those players as well um, that could fit into this uh, roster just as well and score for, for Team USA as well. Absolutely. And EA, your thoughts on kind of the, not the youth movement, because there's still very young players in Hillary Knight and Brianna Decker on this team, but these younger players, it, it doesn't seem like they're skipping a beat as Kyle alluded to. Yeah. I, I, I think hockey is kind of interesting to me, you know, because also thinking of some of the players who, uh, for example, Michelle Picard, who is an Olympian and isn't on the four, wasn't on the four nations roster and, and hasn't been with team USA in a while. Um, and just, it's, it's um, you know, there are other players who have been through the Team USA 
system, I'm thinking, you know, Kelly Stedman, uh, Blake Bolden, um, all these names. And, and so I think it's great to see some of the young talent coming up, but uh, a la the U S women's national soccer team, I wonder just what the coaching long-term is thinking about as far as development and down the pipeline and, you know, how, are any of the players that I just mentioned going to get another look or, you know, have they made decisions to move on from team USA as an individual has team USA made um, the the decision to move on from them? I don't know. So I guess what I'm saying is that the team could be a lot deeper, um, <laughs> which is wild. Right. It, it definitely is a crazy thing to think about where you have this incredible pool of talent uh, and, you know, some of the greatest players that we've seen aren't making the roster. And it's going to be really interesting when we get into the Winter Olympics. And we have, I believe, another Four Nations Cup before we get to the 2018 Olympics. But um, I guess looking forward for both of these teams, uh, this is, I believe, only the second time a team has gone back-to-back that wasn't uh, Canada, or excuse me, yeah, it wasn't Canada. Um, what What is it about this this team right now that, it's kind of tilting the shift about, you know, of Canada and USA in that rivalry. Well, like I said, I mean, I think that they just have a, a ton of, of great offense right now. And I think that yeah. uh, they're able to slow down the Canadians offense and they're able to, to score and out, outscore them in, in these bigger games in, in this one, it was five to three. Um, I think we can think back to last uh, last year or the year before they beat them six to four um, the, when they went head to head. So so typically speaking, the U.S. are winning higher scoring ball games. Um, if Team Canada can shut them out, then then they can win those ones. Mm-hmm. A la the the prelim game where they won two to one. Um, I, and and I think it comes down to that. I think also you made a good point when it comes to um, who's in net. I think, um, you know, I, I also think it could be an interesting storyline to talk about, you know, LaCasse versus Mashmeyer. Is it, is it too early? You know, wh- where's Mashmeyer, you know, in this, you know, she gets the short end of the stick, so to speak. How many of those goals was she kind of left out to dry versus, you know, things that she could have done differently. I think maybe looking also on, on what Canada might need to do as far as building up a more complete team. Um, was it that team Canada? And, and I don't know, this is speculation on my part. Um, and I'm not aware of what their preparation before four nations was and how long this team has been together comparative to especially the NWHL where you basically have Team USA all on one team. That's not the case in the CWHL. Yeah, that's a great point. The the talent is definitely dispersed. So, you know, when you see like the pride playing with each other week in and week out, uh, CWHL or excuse me, Canadian women's hockey, hockey, team players are all on different teams. So, Kyle, do you think that also plays a factor? Because that's a great point by EA. I, I think it's tough to say because we have to remember also um, those two goaltenders play together, don't they? Well, now they do. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Mashmeyer, Mashmeyer is a rookie. Uh, so my question is, has she been in net? So, and also, I think it's a little bit different when you have two two netminders. You know, they're not on the ice together, compared to you know your 
your number one line. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> offense and, and, and your defenders. That's, that's a little bit different, you know, as far as keeping it solid in net. Yeah, they should be able to, to lock it down, but they – you know, I've never seen a goalie score. I'm sure it, it has happened, um, but I certainly have never seen that happen live well, yeah, and in think, living color. <laughs> think about the flip side of this, though. Is it hurting them to be on the same team because they cannot play the entire game? Instead of having LaCasse mm-hmm. versus Mashmeyer for, mm-hmm. let's say, Calgary versus Boston, now one of them's playing and one of them's sitting. Right. Yeah, I think that is very valid when it comes to preparation for um, Team Canada. And, you know, that's when it goes into just the greater world of women's sports where uh, women are having to make decisions based on jobs that they can get off of the ice, not what's happening on the ice. And so I don't know, is that ideal for Team Canada? Do they want their top goalies on the same team? Do, if if that's, you know, the only action that they're going to get is if they're in a game. And then how much of now does Team Canada have in what Calgary does as far as their game plan? Are they going to be like, listen, we need our goalies to be ready, so you've got to split time? Like, that kind of seems crazy, um, you know, but – but that's kind of what we're dealing with when we have federations that have players playing in leagues that are still kind of startups. Um, and that goes for not just the CWHL respect, respectfully. I know that they're 10 years in, but they're still building. I think you could also make those arguments at different points in time, certainly when it comes to the NWSL, what are those conversations like when it comes to the WNBA and, and other leagues where you have uh, professional players who are also integral pieces of their national team. Points. And I think that leads us right into the CWHL and NWHL discussion. Right now, both leagues are on break. Well, congratulations to Team USA on winning the Four Nations Cup and going back-to-back. Shout out, USA. Um, but let's talk about these leagues since we're getting right into it. You know, Calgary, and, and the crazy thing about Calgary is I, I got to watch Delaney Bryant uh, in that replacing LaCasse and Mash Meyer. And even even her performance, I mean, she just won a Clarkson Cup with the Inferno. So yeah. you have three goaltenders on one team that, as you mentioned, EA, are they going to have to share time? Every game is a different goaltender? Yeah, and I think, I mean, Bryant, again, respect has to go to her. She's the one who got them to the Clarkson Cup. Mm-hmm. And and that was the thing for me. Again, Mashmeyer is a, a rookie. Uh, and, yes, she's, she you know, she's integral part of Team Canada. But, I mean, you know, she's she's playing in the pros for the first time. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Bryant Lewis. Absolutely. And Kyle, back to you. I mean, we talked about the Inferno coming into the season. Right now, they're in first place with less Canadiens. Uh, and we talked a little bit about this last week. But now, seeing the talent go overseas and play in this, in this tournament, um, is, is there going to be an issue in Calgary with, with kind of that goaltending uh, trifecta that they have? Not for Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will there be an issue? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how, um, you know, I don't know how these players are. I don't know if, if they're going to be offended when they don't play for a while. Uh, if, let's say, the coach ends up going with the hot hand for a little while. Um, you know, that that could be the case, um, you know, but it it is what it is. Uh, LaCasse went to 
the Inferno after Meshmeyer was already uh, drafted. So they knew what they were getting into, um, you know, and even Meshmeyer being signed, um, you know, they, they knew they had Delaney Bryan from last year. So it, it, they did it to themselves. I, I don't want to sound offensive, but they did. <laughs> I mean, ahead, yeah, and I guess, yeah, I guess the only other thing is, are there time restrictions on any of these players that we we just are not privy to? Uh, which right. Makes a little more sense of, you know, maybe there's not so much complaining about ice time and game time because for whatever reason, one of the three of them just can't commit to practice and so might not be uh, as up to snuff as, as they want to be or can't commit. Um, we see that happening with Julie Chu this season. Um, you know, obviously she is now the full-time head coach of Concordia Stingers and has stated for us when we interviewed her that her first priority is her coaching job. So that's going to impact now a, a, an extremely valuable player for La Canadiens. No, that's a great point, Yeah, and I was just going to ask you, uh, Kyle mentioned this, you know, there was no real big surprises on the standings, but I wanted to ask you, when you're looking at the standings right now with the Inferno and Les Canadians, two teams playing in, uh, in the championship last year, right now leading the CWHL in standings with both identical records, 4-0, and then you have Brampton, Toronto, and Boston. Um, I was asking Kyle, three teams for two spots. Do you see that as well, three teams for two spots? Um, I mean, I, I don't think it, it's very surprising. I think La Canadiens, they, they kind of have shown that in the regular season, they are a team that can really uh, compete. Um, perhaps what Montreal needs to work out is if they're peaking too early. Um, and so managing their season and managing, um, you know, when they're gelling and when they're really hitting full throttle might be something that they want to focus on. Uh, when it comes to Calgary, I think that they're a solid team um, who, again, just has, and on any given night, regardless of the circumstances, has a great potential to, to just be lights out uh, when it comes to, um, you know, who's, who's playing goalie. Um, so I think that what we're seeing as far as the other three teams, I mean, I don't know that it's clicking. Well, it isn't clicking for Boston right now. Um, so they're going to have to figure something out if, if they want to be able to at least show a better showing than last season. So that's a, that's a low bar. Respectfully, it's a low bar, but um, you know, I, I think um, that's kind of an internal goal and, um, it might be building up from there. So um, getting some good games, getting some good experience for some of those new players who are also playing in different positions from what I understand, um, you know, drafting heavy, what was it on the defensive side or vice versa? Um, I'm forgetting now, um, but having players play out of maybe what is their natural position or position that they have been playing for a number of years. Absolutely. And Kyle, I'll let you touch on that as well. <clears throat> Yeah, they may be, but but I think that this happens more often than we we know. Uh, mm -hmm. When players move into a professional league, um, they they may switch depending mm -hmm. on what the team needs or kind of just that their skill set maybe in college led for them to be, let's say, a defenseman, but they they actually have um, you know a, a pretty good skate. They're pretty fast, and so at the professional level, they want to move them up to the, the forward line. Uh, 
Mm. Um, so yeah, I agree with that. And I, I agree. I think there's time will tell if, if the, um, youth is going to improve with the blades, um, or if this is just a, another year where they're going to be at the bottom, they're going to draft early on. They're going to, you know, get some more Don't players sound next so year. Disappointed, Kyle. Well, I want to see winning. I, I enjoy winning. <laughs> um, so it, it's tough. still early. It's 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 still early. I think there's a lot against them with the Canadian national team players, in my opinion, not being allowed to play in Boston because there's there's no way that you go into the season if you knew you weren't going to get Lacasse. There's no way you don't get Mashmeyer in the in the mm. draft. Yeah, yeah, and that's again going back to these federations. Um, mm-hmm having control over what's happening in a professional league that is still growing. Uh, and again, we see that in the NWSL for sure, for sure. Yep. Um, and I think that is truly going to harm the, the women's game when there are and, limited resources. Sorry, yeah. No, go, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to jump in because we saw it in baseball and I, you know, obviously I hate doing that, but we saw basically, you know, Team USA get picked apart because players decided that the league was more important, MLB. Um, and do you see something like that happening with hockey? Uh, I, I think we have the reverse situation right now. I don't think there's any I'm sorry, yeah, incentive. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, there's no incentive right now for anyone who's playing for their federation to opt into a professional league. And I think that might be across the board. Um, again, we talked about other teams maybe not having the, the facilities, the coordination, um, but I don't think right now that on the women's side we're seeing any reason that a woman would not want to play for her country over her club team. That's exact opposite, as you were mentioning. In, baseball is a really good example um, I think maybe for, uh, we saw maybe a little bit in the Olympics that, um, or with the NBA and the Olympics, I should say, that maybe the Olympics is not a, as big a draw to an NBA player as it is to a WNBA player. We had some players opt out, um, but that's just not the case. So for right now, the federations oftentimes who are also, if not paying, as we see in soccer, directly into the, the professional league, they're certainly playing excuse me, paying the players. Um, and, and so, I don't know. I think that there has to be some kind of agreement. And if you want to grow the game outside of just every four years or once a year for a Four Nations Cup in this case, playing friendly in the sandbox is going to be important. That's a great point. And so as, as we wrap up this hockey conversation, Kyle, I'll go back to you with the NWHO. It's well documented that most of the national team players are here in Boston playing for the pride. We, we've gone to discussions about how to fix that or, you know, coming up with solutions on how to fix that. Um, do you think the U.S. kind of, or excuse me, do you think that move with Lacasse kind of came from all the national team players for the U.S. playing in the NWHO? Um, no, I just think that she had to be, in my opinion, anyways, I thought, I think she needed to be north of the border. And so, you know, she was heading north of the border somewhere and it was just a matter of where she was going to go. Um, you know, I would have liked to have seen, you know, some support 
for the Blades when you take away the goaltender that clearly kept them at least viable last year. When you take her away and, and you give nothing to the Blades in return, um, you know, that's that's tough to that's a tough pill to swallow. Mm. Um, you know, I think when we we talk about yes, there are a lot of team a lot of players on the uh team USA playing in Boston for the for the pride. Um, you know, they're not gonna play for the blades because they're getting paid to play for the for the pride. So um I don't blame them at all for, for playing for the for the pride. Um and their strength and conditioning coach is in Boston, so I don't blame them for being in Boston. Um I I agree with EA. I think either they need to find some way to still pay them and have them placed somewhere else, um, or they they need to find another way to get I don't know some sort of a rotation where the strength and conditioning coach doesn't isn't only in Boston um, because it's it's clear that uh, there are some great players out there that aren't in Boston, but a vast majority are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, some great points there, Kyle. And we'll keep track of all the CW and NWHL as well as international hockey news here on MyW Sports. Just follow us at MyW Sports on social media, or go to mywsports.com for the latest. EA, um, we have some college hockey going on, and you know, going into this year, I, there, there, there was conversations Minnesota and Wisconsin would be the best two teams uh, in in the league uh, or in NCAA hockey. When you look at all the teams behind them, uh, Minnesota Duluth might be the only exception, but BC, Quinnipiac, Clarkson, St. Lawrence, all these teams, they seem to be facing tougher competition this year. And, and talking to other people around college hockey, did we lose our probably the best senior class in NCAA last year with you know Kendall Coyne, Alex Carper, and all those names? I mean, it was definitely, if you're just looking at who went into the NWHL, um, the, the rookies have made an instantaneous impact on their team. Even the Riveters, um, you know, t- I think it's uh, Mia Dench is, is one of the top points getters for the Riveters who are, are struggling again this season, um, but she's made an indelible mark. So um, as well as Katie Fitzgerald, so you're talking about, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Min Duluth. Uh, who come from that same conference where St. Cloud is, is they, you know, they don't have it. They're always at the bottom of the barrel and you've got such a stacked conference. Um, but you still see that Fitzgerald is able to make an impact on the Riveters. So I, I, I you know, is it the, the, the deepest? It's hard for me to say as someone who's coming into this, you know, with only really one solid season, I think it's definitely, uh, I would argue it's the best uh, draft class for the NWHL, which I can say with confidence. I say that with 100% confidence that I'm right. <laughs> and Kyle, we were big on Quinnipiac last year. Right now they've they've lost back-to-back games after splitting uh, or losing to BC and tying BC a couple weeks ago. They fell to Clarkson 4-1 and then fell to St. Lawrence 1-0. Rossman has been getting a majority of the time, but she was pulled in that first game against Clarkson. Your thoughts on Quinnipiac? But they're losing to Clarkson and St. Lawrence, who have proven to be very solid teams this year. So, and, and we know Clarkson from last year has quite a bit as well. And I know that they lost uh, a couple of great players in, in Renata Fast and and um, uh, Aaron Ambrose, but but they're still a very solid team up there in upstate New York. And same with St. Lawrence. And 
St. Lawrence has come out of nowhere kind of, and, and they're, uh, you know, just able to compete now with Quinnipiac and, and Quinnipiac has had kind of the stranglehold on that conference for a couple of years. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's the end. I think Rossman is a great goaltender. And I think when they get into the playoffs, it comes down to how, if she can stand on her head, Quinnipiac's still going to win against those two teams. Good point there. Johnson, number one in the country, shut out Bemidji State 5-0-6-0 in a weekend sweep. Minnesota defeats Minnesota State 5-0 and then 8-1. to So those offenses, they're doing work. BC in a rivalry this weekend against BU. They split, winning 5-3 on Friday night, losing 5-3 on Saturday. Um, Colgate, the surprise team, I guess, in my opinion, they've won two against RIT this weekend. They will move up to number four, excuse me, number five in the rankings for this week. EA selection show Monday. Today, tonight, we will have our tournament field for NCAA soccer. Are you excited? Yeah, I I think that we saw a lot of really great games. Uh, if you go to PKs as far as conference play, um, you know, I'm, I know that uh, the local team, the local-ish team for me, Rutgers, uh, was unable to get it done in the Big Ten, um, Big Ten uh, final. However, they will be going to the NCAA, and I, I think that, that we're just going to see some really great talent. I know Penn State has struggled a little bit. Um, even Rutgers um, has um, dealt with some departures due to the, um, again, the, the U.S. Federation uh, snagging away some of the best talent uh, for international competition. So a lot of teams dealing with that. Uh, but I think it's going to be an exciting tournament. Uh, we see that, um, you know, some of the usual suspects, if you will, are, are going to, you know, do do pretty well. Um, but I guess the question is, are we a little bit shocked about West Virginia um, with that number one spot? So, you know, I, I got to follow West Virginia a bit last year, and they were good, but when they were upset, I, I, I got upset because I was like, wait, I thought they were better than that. <laughs> Um, and then this year, you know, they, they, I think they lost a couple weeks ago. Their first loss um, was against Georgetown, but they did lose a couple weeks ago. But, I, I, I mean, they're a fun team to watch, EA, and I, I think they'll be really dangerous in the tournament. How about South Carolina, though? They were upset in their conference tournament for their first loss of the season. Yeah, that's tough. Um, <laughs> that's tough to lose uh, when you get down to the wire. But I suppose – the, the silver lining, if you will, is now that it's out of the system for arguably the tournament that, you know, could mean the most going out uh, and being able to get to the College Cup and, and getting that experience um, as a freshman, but then getting that opportunity to, to win it as a senior um, is really what's going to be driving a lot of these teams. Absolutely. And we had another selection show coming out last night, Selection Sunday in field hockey. The number one overall seed, Duke University, although they did lose in the ACC tournament, they were the best team all season long, so they got the number one overall seed. BC and UConn, I had to throw that one in there because these two teams just played at the end of the season. It went to overtime, and it was an incredible game. There was a snub. Yeah, you mentioned some teams maybe look on the outside looking in for the soccer tournament. BU was left out, and I'm not normally a BU guy, but... 
<laughs> this team was really good, and they, they, they unfortunately lost in the Patriot League Championship. So we see what losing uh, in a conference tournament might cost you, and we saw that with BU missing out on the tournament. And UNC, Maryland, they'll be potentially playing in the second round if they win their first-round matchups. Those will be great matchups to watch for in the field hockey. All of that starts on Wednesday with opening round action. Kyle, how about some volleyball news? Yeah, well, you know, Nebraska is just rolling, and they they hung tight at number one in volleyball, uh, Minnesota number two, Wisconsin number three. So the Big Ten very well represented there. But when you look at the the RPIs of these schools, uh, Wisconsin is is hanging on with the the toughest schedule that they've done the best in. Um, And Texas is right behind them at number two. Nebraska doesn't come in until number three. So um, depending on how... Uh, the committee looks at it as we get closer to the selection show for volleyball. Nebraska may or may not be number one due to strength of schedule. So it's kind of interesting to see what's going to happen there. Uh, Nebraska did beat Wisconsin uh, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about on the podcast, Um, but uh, unless, unless Nebraska uh, falls again, um, you know, Nebraska and Wisconsin could be, fighting for that that overall number one seed. It's going to be a fun time, excuse me, in the NCAA volleyball tournament, that selection show, about a month away. So we'll have more time to talk about that. EA, you were at the New York City Marathon, and, I, you know, I'm a little bit jealous because I've, I've been to the Boston Marathon, and I hear that the New York Marathon kind of blows it out of the water. So tell us about it. Well, I mean, you know, I've never been to the Boston Marathon, but uh, <laughs> New, York, New York Marathon is kind of a big deal. Um, millions of spectators, five boroughs, 5,000 runners from your elite pro all the way down to, you know, your first-time marathon runner, um, to just amazing stories, obviously also including the wheelchair races, hand cycle, hand cyclists. Um, it's an exciting time. So what we see as far as the women in the pro field, it was actually the wheelchair race that started and kicked off the marathon. So we have Tatiana McFadden, who we were able to do the Women's History Wednesday profile on. She has one coming into yesterday's race. Four total marathons, New York City marathons, three New York City marathons, a consecutive as part of three consecutive grand slams, meaning that she was up there in Boston, crushed that. Then she slid over to Chicago, crushed that. Then she uh, flew across the pond to London and guess what? Crushed that. Um, so she again now has 20 wins in the New York city marathon. We also see Mary Katani from Kenya come in number one in the women's pro Molly huddle. First time, a uh, marathoner, New York City marathoner, comes in. Another good story is Gwen Jorgensen, who is a triathlete, won the gold in Rio, comes in, I believe, 14th in this race. Um, and then uh, we also see uh, Tiffany Perry from New Zealand win the hand cycle, and uh, Helena Hine in second for that. Just a great experience. The weather was beautiful. I hear it was kind of windy, and there are multiple bridges that these racers have to go over. But all in all, a good time, great storylines, you know, about especially what Tatiana McFadden was able to do in growing the game. She donated some wheelchairs to some locals looking to get into the action. Um, And um, we also have uh, the Canadian, uh, the uh, 
Lena um, Mercant, who beat the Canadian record. It was a 30-year record. She is now the fastest woman to run the New York City Marathon, came in top 10, and uh, also ran in Rio. So those are some of the storylines real quick from the New York City Marathon. That's pretty awesome, and I know, I know there's a feature out on my W Sports on McFadden. Uh, I was going to joke and say, you know, McFadden for president, forget tomorrow voting for Trump or Hillary, go vote for McFadden. Um, <laughs> but she's amazing, and I think that's, that's an incredible story that gets kind of um, hidden in the storylines is, is how incredible she has been, not only, you know, this year, but throughout her time uh, in the wheelchair races. Absolutely. And I did get to ask her if, um, you know, what's next? You know, she, she's basically done it all. She's now tied with the most New York City Marathon wins. Uh, teased her and asked if another uh, Winter Games is in the future. What she said is first she's going on vacation and then she'll see <laughs> about the Winter Olympics. Uh, so it's not out of it's not out of possibility. Peo Chang, uh, 2018 McFadden, um, and we, uh, it may she's not in office, uh, she'll she'll pick up some more hardware. <laughs> Absolutely. And Kyle, are we expecting you to run the Boston Marathon next year? First of all, I don't mind if she is president, if she goes to Pyeongchang. <laughs> uh, I think that's totally fine. I would approve of it. Um, and no, I can guarantee that I will not be in the Boston Marathon next year. Okay. okay, fair enough. I, I I thought I heard a rumor around there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I might go cover it. I mean, I'd love to go see it, but I I will not be running in it. <laughs> right. You heard it. Your pro coverage. Oh, man. All right. All right. So we've had a lot of great things to get to. We're running out of time here. I just want to do this quickly. But LPGA, their tournament, their season-ending tournament is coming up uh, at the end of November in Naples, Florida. A lot of great action. The Toto Japan Classic. Shan uh, Shan Feng, she won back-to-back titles. She's the only player besides um, Lydia Ko and Ariana Jutanagarn to go back-to-back this year. It was her sixth win of her career, her second of 2016, obviously, the back-to-back. Um and in WTA action, Petra Kivota, she overcame a slow start to win the WTA Elite Trophy. Uh, that's the, like basically the second place trophy for after the WTA Finals, which Dominika Sibikova defeated Angelique Kerber in. Um, so those are the finals in WTA. You can find more about those tomorrow on mywsports.com. Uh, anything we missed here? I just want to give a shout out to the recently retired Squin Cash. She's been uh, crushed it, named the board of directors for the March of Dimes, admitted um, and honored with a Freedom Award by the National Civil Rights Museum, and she is back in action with the New York Knicks broadcast team. So we like to talk about female athletes, but once they cross over to the other side and not necessarily become like us, but um, we like to follow what they're doing. So uh, congratulations to Swin on uh, continuing to do amazing work in retirement. That's awesome. And Kyle, anything on your end? No, but I just, uh, you know, everybody get out there. The the CWHL and WHL will be returning this this upcoming week. So make sure you get out there and you watch some hockey. Absolutely. Excited to get that action back underway this upcoming weekend. And, again, you can always follow us on social media at MyWSports when we bring you Motivational Monday, Top Player Tuesday, Women in History Wednesday, Throwback Thursday, and Friday Favorites. Uh, if you have any ideas for these days, please give us a shout uh, on social media, send us a DM, or you could email us. That would be always, you know, we love emails, but those are great. 
and we'll try to get to you. Um, again, visit us on mywsports.com. And just, you know, just because it is Motivational Monday, this is the motivational quote um, for today. It's from Anita de France. She's a former uh, rower for Team USA. The problem, in, quote, the problem with describing women as girls is that they never grow up, and therefore they can't take positions of authority in the world of sports. But the good news is that you can change language. So ultimately, you can change the picture of women in sports. So with that, we hope you have a great week. Join us next Monday on MyW Sports, Sports Monday. For Erica Ayala, Kyle Westcott, I'm Luis Sanchez. Have a great rest of the week.